Well, my goal this weekend is not to give you whiplash. Uh, last weekend was crazy intense um, on purpose. And I want to thank all of those of you who sent me letters about how God used that. I was uh, encouraged to the core of my being. Um, and so I thank you for that. But I'm hoping that as I kind of drop down into a normal energy level, that I don't freak some of you out and you don't get, feel like you've been on a roller coaster ride. Over the last couple of months, a national corporation in the United States has given itself away in honesty. Domino's Pizza took out huge ads and came clean and boldly announced to the U.S. that they believe their crust tastes like cardboard and their sauce like glorified ketchup. They said they think their pizza, in their language, not mine, don't write me a letter, they said we think our pizza sucks and has sucked for a very long time, only we didn't want to admit it. Okay, when you're in the business of making pizza and then you say you do a lousy job of making pizza, either making those claims, it's either boldly courageous or you're nuts, right? To just come out and say that you're not good at what you're supposed to be good at. Well, if Domino's can do it, so can I. All right, here goes. I'm a pastor, right? I'm supposed to be down with all of the God stuff. I'm supposed to love my Bible, and I do. I love my Bible. I'm supposed to care about people, which I do, unless you're mean or trying to date my daughter, then all bets are off, okay? <laughs> I'm supposed to have a hotline to God, which I don't, and I'm supposed to love praying. And I don't. I struggle with it. I just said it. I struggle with my prayer life. I read the bi biographies of great men of God who did amazing things for God. And, and when their prayer life is revealed, I read those chapters and then I walk away feeling like the kid who tried out for the C team in basketball at the middle school and didn't make it. I know some of you don't relate to that. I did. That's why I'm still in therapy. Okay, so um, <laughs> I struggle with my prayer life. I know that probably doesn't espouse a whole lot of confidence in this room right now or in Ferndale, but I struggle with my prayer life. In fact, there are a lot of moments when I'm praying and it kind of goes like this, dear God, thanks for this day. It's a nice day. I'm kind of freaked out about the day. The sky's blue, blue like the Indianapolis Colts uniforms. Bless Peyton, God, that'll be great. Um, yeah, it'd be cool if you did that. Speaking of cool, Laurel told me to get ice cream on the way home. Where is my note for that? I've got to get ice cream. Oh, yeah. Um, and God, thanks for cows that make ice cream. Um, <laughs> and give us all a really good day. Amen. I mean, and, the, and I'd love to tell you that's not the way it is, but the truth is that's the way it is sometimes. I've been praying all week that God would give a fresh perspective on prayer. Because our series has been, you give yourself away. Well, I want to talk about giving yourself away this way. I've struggled with prayer my whole Christian life because, um, because it, it just seems to be something that's untouchable. But this year, I purposed in my heart to press into this vital lifeline to my Heavenly Father because I believe that's what prayer is. It's a lifeline between a broken person and an all-knowing, all-consuming, all-loving, all-forgiving, and all-communicating Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that I communicate one part of the message very, very clearly. I do not have a formula to give you today. 
In fact, quite the opposite. After scouring commentaries and books on prayer and being overwhelmed by these huge definitions, I mean, we're talking four or five paragraph definitions of what prayer is supposed to be that made me feel even more like a failure and basically scared me to death. I boiled it down into one sentence. This is my simple definition of prayer. It's this. Prayer is both talking to and listening to God, period. Hopefully that works for you. I know the intellectual depth of that statement is making some of you want to go for Domino's pizza right now, but I stand behind that statement. I stand behind it because of a moment that I had with God on January the 13th. I was writing some stuff out in my prayer journal because somebody told me that if I loved Jesus a lot, I'd have a prayer journal. So I went and got one and I was listing off some stuff. I actually tore out the page from January the 13th. They're going to show it on the screens so you can see that it was actually real. That was, this is my prayer journal from the 13th. I was praying over Haiti because that morning I'd seen a picture of a man carrying the lifeless body of his child down a road and I didn't know what to do with that or what box to put it in my mind. So I prayed that God would help him. I prayed as I always do for my beautiful wife and my amazing kids, just about some stuff that's going on in our everyday world. I, I, I prayed about the fact that we need a worship pastor here at Christ the King Community Church. Over the next couple of weeks at both campuses, we are going to pray and encourage because everybody behind me that leads the services, they're a volunteer who love Jesus and they're just coming to help us out and get where we need to go. I prayed over five of our staff team members, five of them all of whose fathers are struggling with cancer. Many of them are terminal, and I just prayed for them. I wrote down some fears because I'm prone to fear, and I confessed them to God, and that seemed to help. I wrote down a bunch of other good pastor stuff at the bottom of it because that's my job. And after I'd finished lecturing God about all of my needs using a different voice than I normally talk in, have you ever noticed that when people pray? My dad once told me, never trust somebody who prays in a different voice than they talk to you in, right? And all of, I'm just like, you know, dear God and Heavenly Father. You know? <laughs> when I got to the end of my list, I just stopped because I was so frustrated. Like, this is supposed to be better than this. I've been doing this for a long time. This, this should be easy and fresh, and it wasn't. So I just stopped talking. That was probably the first smart thing that I did. It got really, really quiet, and I heard a whisper in my bottom of my soul that said, if you put down your list, we could just talk. So we did. Just had a conversation. I talked, he listened. He talked, I listened, and I experienced prayer in a brand new way. And then I prayed, God, what do you want me to talk about on this topic because I'm not good at it? And he took me to a passage of Scripture that we don't often go to when talking about prayer. In fact, we most likely spend most of our time with it close to Easter. Scripture says in Luke 22 these words, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up 
and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. There's so much in this passage that touches me. It's not, it's not a formula. It's not an 11-step program to, to give you a vital prayer life with God. It's just the example of Jesus in a tough moment and what he does when he feels compelled to cry out to God and actually have a conversation, a tough conversation. So let's just walk it through. In this prayer, we find a retreat. That's how it starts. It says, Jesus went out. If you know the background, Jesus had been through the ringer. He'd been welcomed into Jerusalem as a conquering king. One of his best friends had decided he was going to betray him. He'd had a last meal with his disciples. He'd celebrated communion with them. I'm sure communion took an unbelievable emotional toll on Jesus because it's his body and his blood that he's talking about. And after all that, it says he retreated. He stepped out of normal life to talk with his father, to gain some perspective, to find a little bit of peace. He stepped out of it. How many of us don't do that, right? Where do we find ourselves praying? We find ourselves praying in the middle of the stack of bills, praying, God help me or burn down my bank. Either one will work, right? We're in the middle of the crisis, and so we're right there in the center, and that's not a bad place to pray. But I think Jesus has given us a clue here. Sometimes you got to step out of life in order to have a conversation about your life. you got to get quiet enough so you can hear Him. You've got to get to a place where it's not you doing all the talking, but you can actually hear when He answers back. Jesus stepped out to a quiet place so we could really talk. Secondly, we find a pattern. Scripture says, as usual... One translation says, as was his practice. Another one says, as he was in the habit of doing. Apparently, this was not irregular for Jesus to do. He had a regular time and a regular place to have a conversation with God. Now, that doesn't mean that we get to discount the verse, pray without ceasing, because we're supposed to have an ongoing conversation with God all of the time. But here, there was a pattern, a place, a regular connection with God. Think of it this way. It's that regular coffee appointment with your friend. My wife and I have a pattern to our connection. We usually talk about halfway through the morning. I try to connect with her around noon. When she gets home from work around three, I try to give her a call. We always talk on the phone on my way home so I can kind of leave work behind. We talk at the dinner table throughout the evening right before we go to sleep. We do it because it's created a healthy level of communication and God's no different. It's about staying in touch. I mean, normally, when do we talk to God? Before meals and when we're in crisis, right? When we're in meltdown. That's not the pattern. Instead, Jesus shows us here there's a faithful pattern of communication. Next, we find a location. It says he went to the Mount of Olives. This was Jesus' special place. We don't know why. He just felt connected there. He felt close there. For you, it could be a desk. Maybe it's a spot by a river. Maybe it's a chair in your shop. Maybe it's, it's a place on the floor by your bed. It's the place where you run to because you know God's always waiting for you there. Next, we find a posture. This is amazing that the God of all heaven, it says he knelt down and prayed. Jesus took a humble posture. He took a humble posture. He became low. He chose the route of humility. I mean, when you think about kneeling, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Kneeling doesn't seem like the posture of someone who's in control. Newsflash, you're not in control. You're not in control of anything. And anytime you think you do have control, you just bought into an illusion. I mean, that's the posture he took. Kneeling doesn't seem like the posture of someone who can can pick themselves up by their bootstraps and just keep on trucking. 
Newsflash, you can't. None of us is that strong. Kneeling does not seem like a position from which you can fight, but it is. Jesus kneels to show his heart and to place his trust in the one who held his life in his hands. God the Father had his very future right here. After a posture, we find a connection. Jesus says, Father. He uses the word Abba, Papa, Daddy, Dad. It's a name of intimacy. He says Abba. That's not just a, a, a funky rock and roll band from the 70s, okay? It actually has a meaning to it. It means Daddy. Jesus calls out to His Father. The first word of His prayer reminds us of another one, doesn't it? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It starts with a connection. Child to dad, dad to child. After that, we find a request. Jesus says, if you're willing... This shows us there's nothing wrong with bringing requests to God. Jesus did. Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You can bring your requests to God. What I'd love to ask you today is this. What else do you bring? Or is that all you bring? Just a long list of stuff. Not even needs. Just a whole bunch of wants. Come on, God. You're my cosmic bellboy. This is what I'm ordering. If you don't give it to me, you obviously don't love me, and so I won't be back with my list again. Got a little quiet in here, didn't it? It says we're to bring requests, but my question is, is that all we're bringing? How about praise? How about honor? How about respect? How about surrender? How about a living sacrifice named you and me? Brings a request. Then comes a moment of honesty. He says, take this cup from me. Let me translate this one from you. This is a child saying, Daddy, is there any other way? Now, we got to remember what it is Jesus is up to. He's getting ready to take the sins of the world, my sin, your sin, on His perfect, sinless life. He's getting ready to become vile and dirty. He's getting ready to become a broken rose. And He's doing that for us. He says, Dad, is there any other way? He asks his father if there's any other way than downing the cup of wrath that contained all of your sin and all of mine. I want us to understand, Jesus is not afraid of pain here. Jesus is not afraid of shame here. Jesus is not afraid of death here. He knew exactly what he's called to do. This was the sinless perfection of our Savior Jesus Christ recoiling at the thought of becoming sin so that we could be saved. It's like an ugh. It's tough stuff. Is there any other way? And then we find the next piece here. We find a submission. Because the Bible goes on and says, Jesus said, not, yet not my will, but yours be done. This might be the toughest part of the prayer. Jesus asks if there's another way. The Father says no, and Jesus stays submitted. I believe the greatest test of your spiritual maturity is how you handle it when God says no or wait. 
My question for myself this week has been, when you get a no, Grant, when you get a wait, do you remain submitted or do you pull out the, well, if you don't give me a yes, you don't love me, God card? And I know we've all used that one from time to time. I've been praying for God to restore my wife's eyesight for 17 years. As I wait for the answer, so far the answer's been wait. And I've got two choices. I can rebel in that moment and say, God, you don't know what you're doing. I'm going to go and do this by myself, which accomplishes nothing. Or I can stay submitted, kneeling in front of Him, knowing God's the only one that can help her anyway. Scripture says in Hebrews, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Sometimes the best way to look at Scripture is to find out what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he was heard because he had a really good FM voice that penetrated all the way to heaven. It doesn't say that Jesus was heard because his flowery, dictionary-filled words just painted the sky and he was able to, to create beautiful sentences. It doesn't say he was heard because of his pronunciation or because of his diction. It says that he was heard because he was submissive to what God wanted him to do. That's convicting for this guy. I know we know how to ask for a long list of stuff. My question is, do we know how to submit to a great God who sometimes says yes and sometimes says no? What else do we find? We find a heavenly strength. That's the next. It says an angel appeared and strengthened him. This is the comforting part of prayer. It's the peace that comes with knowing that, that we've been heard. It's the truth that, that as we pray, God releases angelic warriors to come and watch over us and guide us and protect us when we're in that vulnerable position of submission. And then we find something even more amazing to me. In the, in the prayer, we find a response to pain. This is what Scripture says here. It says, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Wow. Wow. That's convicting to me because when I'm in pain, I tend to shut down. When, I, when I'm in pain, I tend to pull back. When, when I'm in pain, in, instead of leaning in and pressing through, I tend to just kind of take a few steps away because I just want the pain to go away. Jesus is in more anguish and He leans in. That's a clue to all of us. The more it hurts, the more dependent and prayerful God's people should become. When we see the anguish happening in Haiti, our prayer should not be, boy, I'm just so thankful it's not me. Our prayer should be, God, that's my family. Those are my brothers and my sisters that are hurting down there. Those are my brothers and my sisters who are going to meet in an open field tomorrow because their church doesn't exist anymore. God, give me that kind of courage. Give me that kind of faith. Walk alongside of me so that if this place collapsed, no big deal for Christ the King. We're just moving to the parking lot. Doesn't mean we're going to be quieter. It means we're going to sing louder because we're going to have to. It's a response to pain. And finally, we find a re-entry. It says, when he rose from prayer and went back. There was a time when Jesus re-engaged with his mission to save the world from sin. You've got to notice this. He didn't cloister himself or hide he didn't, he didn't intercede from the sideline without entering the battlefield. No, he dove right back in to real life. This is where so many of us get stuck. 
We pray that, that somehow God will save our neighbors and then we never re-engage and talk to them. We pray someone will come along. Jesus, help someone come along and tell my neighbors about your amazing love. And then we wait for someone to come along while we're praying that someone would come along 30 feet away in another house. Be the answer to your own prayer, people. It's a beautiful passage because it's so real. And it leads me to a conviction that, that, that reads like this. Here's my conviction. As a child of God, prayer should be the most normal act that we do. It should just be normal. A free-flowing conversation that doesn't stop all day long. It just rolls and continues. Because you're fully accepted by God, He can't wait to hear from you, and you should want to hear from Him too. So at the beginning of the week, I'm sitting there with my prayer journal, and that day I was stunned by God's simple invitation. Can we just talk? Because my first response was, it can't be that simple. Could it be that simple? Could we really just talk to God? I mean, Scripture says there's a promise of God that we all need to know. It contains the power of the promise of prayer. James 5.16 says this. Here's God's promise. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. We talked about that in the confession series. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, some of us go, well, that takes care of it because I am not a righteous person. There's no one righteous, not even one. So if you thought you were a righteous person, <laughs> gotcha. This is the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And when we come to a realization that we're not righteous enough, that's an awesome thing to talk to God about. God, I'm not righteous, but you are. God, I'm not powerful, but you are. God, I am not effective, but you are. I might be a lousy prayer, but you're an awesome listener. So I'm going to stay as close as I can to you, hoping that some of your holiness and righteousness rubs off on me so that I can fully participate in James 5.16. We have a lot of opportunities to pray Christ the King. If you grab your, your program and flip over onto the back page, got a bunch of them. I'm going to run down a bunch. Because I think the best way to learn how to pray a great praying church is to pray. To me, that seems to make sense. Let me give you some ideas and opportunities that you can, that you can work through as you learn how to talk to and listen to God. I listed, I listed just a couple of them. There's a prayer work workshop coming up by Carolyn Merriman. It's two Saturdays from now here at the Bellingham campus. Carolyn does one of the most amazing workshops on how to make prayer normal. So it doesn't have to be weird. She does an amazing job. You can learn what prayer is and what prayer is not. It's so worth the time. We're doing something again, our 24-7 prayer initiative. Our prayer and hope and dream as a church is that we'd have somebody praying 24-7 around the clock. If you'd like to take one hour and commit to one hour, you're going to head out into the commons. You're going to go to the connection point. They're going to fill in your name on a card. They're going to put it up on the board. And we dream of the day when all 168 hours are full because that means the prayer covering of Christ the King is thick, which means we're protected while we're doing this good work. Okay? If you're in Ferndale, there's a card in your program, and uh, your service host is going to be talking to you a little about your prayer initiative as well. If you'd like to get my weekly prayer focus email... If you fill out the little tear-off and give us all of the information, okay, don't just put Mary and your birth date. That doesn't help us, okay? We need all of the info 
every week on Monday morning, I type a, a prayer focus email. Then it goes to my faithful assistant, Diane, who edits it for spelling so you don't think I'm an idiot. And then it goes out, and, and it's very specific requests for Christ the King. You can get that. If you want to fill out your email address, we'll send it to you. The prayer army is a group of people at Christ the King who, who get the requests that come in all weekend long and during the week, and we email them to you. I love being able to tell people, if you have a prayer request, within a couple hours of the weekend, we can have, boom, four to 500 people praying for your request immediately. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can sign up that way. There are prayer meetings at Christ the King at the Light of the World Prayer Center. You can check our program or lwpc.org. Then we talk about prayer vigils and gatherings. And the last one on there is the Healing Prayer Group. We have a group of people here at Christ the King who through prayer and the touch of God, after they had received a death sentence from the medical establishment, by the way, I'm not saying anything bad about doctors, praise God for all of you, but God touched them and healed them. And now their ministry is to pray for those in our family who are facing long-term or terminal illness. And we don't talk about this very often because we don't want it to get weird. But we've seen God completely heal people in Jesus' name because a little group of folks on Sunday mornings in Bellingham hide in a little tiny room and they don't do anything weird. They just ask that God would tip heaven a little bit and that a little bit would fall on a very specific person. If you are sick and you don't know where to go next, you call Bev. Bev was supposed to have been dead about 13 years ago from cancer. I saw her last week. She appears to be doing quite well in Jesus' name. And she leads that group. She's a humble volunteer, and they'd love nothing more than to pray over you, okay? Lots of opportunities to give ourselves away in prayer. So this past week, I was traveling to interview a person who has applied for our worship pastor position. I was on an airplane and I was working on my message and feeling a little alone, a little discouraged. You know, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that there aren't times when you pray and it feels like your, your prayers hit the ceiling about three feet above your head and drop right back into your lap. And I was working hard trying to get something new and fresh on an ancient topic. Sitting beside a little old lady from Rhode Island who said that she'd been out meeting Hadada who lives in Oak Harbor, which translated as Oak Harbor for the rest of us, all right? She asked me a couple of questions. What do you do for a living, sweetheart? What's the name of your wife? Do you have any children? I said, yeah, I've got a 16 to 14. She goes, did you start having kids when you were 12? What's your problem? I mean, she's hilarious. <laughs> Cracked me up. And then I thought she nodded off and went to sleep for the rest of our little 30-minute flight. Working on prayer, right? Working on prayer, and she's sleeping next to me, and I stick and my MP3 player, my little headphones in my ears, and I'm sitting there. One of my favorite songs from an artist by the name of Ronnie Freeman starts playing across my little Blackberry. Have you ever heard a love song that sets your spirit free? Have you ever watched a sunrise and felt you couldn't breathe? What if it's Him? What if it's God speaking? Have you ever cried a teardrop that you could not explain 
Have you ever met a stranger who already knew your name? What if it's him? What if it's God speaking? Who knows how he'll get a hold of us, get our attention to prove that he's enough. He'll do, he'll use whatever he wants to, to tell you. So I'm listening to the song, and I'm like, oh, I get it, kind of. Flight attendant comes down the aisle, asks me to power down my device, so I'm taking off my headphones, and the lady sitting next to me slips this little white card into my hand. It says, the Pilgrim Lutheran prayer chain is praying for you. May the grace and blessings of our Lord embrace you. She texted the name of my family to a little prayer group that was meeting on the other side of the country, and she'd been praying for me the whole flight home. When I got up to leave, she grabbed me by the arm and said, he hears you, Every word, no call waiting, no need to leave a message, no one to screen and take your request and shift it to a different department. He hears you every time you give yourself away in prayer. So, let's pray.